Thank you guys so much for being here this morning. We are, uh, we've got some special stuff planned um, uh, here in a little bit, which is good news for you because I'm not going to preach nearly as long. I'm only going to preach an hour today, so it's very exciting. I'm just kidding. For all the new people who just started to leave, I'm not going to preach an hour. I'm just kidding. Um, we're going to have some communion uh, later on afterwards. It's going to be an awesome thing. Um, but before we get started, I just want to make two quick announcements. Number one is that we have, we have started a new process in our children's um, department. We are days away hopefully, days away from starting construction. I don't know if you guys have remember that, but we're, we're in the middle of, of still dealing with the county and preparing and architects and all that stuff of getting this new area over here turned into a children's area and the youth room, uh, the bar into a youth room, a lot of very exciting stuff. Um, we, are, we are through the, all the stuff that I don't understand about the way business works, and um, I just know that the people we've hired are saying we are days away from starting construction, so it's an awesome thing, um, and we are starting to do that. So to prepare for that, we're going ahead and starting to implement some of the systems in our church because as we've grown, some of the things that we used to have in place worked great a year ago. They're not working so great these days. And so we're trying to upgrade everything in our church from communication to our systems here and there. And one of them is our children's system and the way we check kids in for safety, different reasons like that. And so from now on, from this point on, and we know it's going to be a learning process, but from this point on, every Sunday starting at 1020, our kids are going to be dropped off in the kids' room and checked in. Um, and then not today, but starting now. Next week, you will be given um, a, a sticker or a label of some sort to be able to check your kid back out later on in life. Two of the reasons we're doing that is, one is, um, we want to protect our children. Um, number two is, is that we, we've got, when everybody's off of vacation and everybody's here, the sun's out, it's not raining, and everybody's here, we got a lot of people hanging out with us these days. And so we, we think that it's very, 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 very expensive to knock walls out and keep going. And so we want to be able to provide an amazing experience and atmosphere for your kids while also in here, because I don't know if you guys notice, when the kids are in here, it's all really tight, and then the kids leave, and then there's a lot of chairs here and there, and so those are just some things that we're trying to do. So if you are a child uh, in our children's department, if you're one of our volunteers, um, check your emails, because we're sending you some pretty important ones, um, and get in contact, and if you're sitting here and you're like, I have no idea what Jordan's talking about, check your email, okay, because we have tried to communicate with you, um, and if you're lost, it's okay, find me or find uh, one of our leaders or Christina or one of our children's department people after the church, and we'll catch you guys back up, so just a little bit of business. Um, number two is that um, there's been a, uh, an awesome uh, young lady that has joined um, Harvest Cove over the last few months. Her name is Terry Broom. She's a, she's a brilliant um, teacher, teaches primarily to women. She travels all over North Carolina and either in some other states in the southeast, and um, she has decided to make Harvest Cove her home. And so um, Cindy and some of the, the women's team have decided to um, give her the month of July to do a series um, and starting on Wednesday nights at seven o'clock. So starting this Wednesday night at seven, we're going to start a new women's study. We took the month of June off for prayer. It was awesome. If you were here, you know that it was awesome. If you weren't, I hope that you were still joining us in spirit and praying at your house. Um, but we're here to July. So this Wednesday night, if you are a woman, not a man, and you want to be a part of an exciting uh, new series with a great teacher, this Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, they are starting that. And for the guys, the month of July, we're kind of taking it off, no Bible studies, um, but um, not this Wednesday. There's nothing this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday, we are going to have a cookout hosted by yours truly. So we're going to have some cornhole and some burgers and um, see if I can burn you guys some food, and we're just going to get together and hang out, um, not this Wednesday, but the next Wednesday at 7 o'clock. If you show up this Wednesday, it's just going to be me and you hanging out. So if you want to do that, 
That's fine, but there's not going to be a cookout. There's not going to be cornhole. You bring a basketball, I'll school you. That'll be fun. So if you want to come hang out, seven, that's fine. Unless you're better than me, then I'm not going to play you because that's how I roll. So that's just what, that's what we're going to do. So now a little bit of business, women's ministry, new series this Sunday. I mean, this Wednesday at 7 o'clock. Men, nothing this week, but next Wednesday we're going to have a bro night. It's going to be awesome. And now you guys will join me in prayer and we will get started. Father God, I thank you so much, Lord, just for everything that you have done, Lord. God, I thank you, Lord, just for the, the youth uh, trip that they just that the youth just came back from. I just heard amazing stories. What an awesome conference and time they had. I thank you, Lord, for their safety there and back. God, I thank you just uh, for the, uh, the team that went to New Orleans uh, two weeks ago and their safety coming back for the team we're about to send to India, Lord God. I, I thank you just for the life of our church and just the way things are growing and the way things are going, Father God, that you just let your spirit be with us and guide us, God. Uh, but this morning, just for the next few minutes, Lord, that you would just let your spirit rest in this house, Lord God, that you would let your power rest in this place, God, that you will take all of me, all of my flesh, my struggles, uh, all of my things that are in and just put me to the side, Lord God, and just let me be an empty vessel for your word this morning, God. And I, I pray, Lord, that every word that is taught this morning comes directly from your heart and penetrates the depths of our people this morning, Lord God, that you would just let your spirit be with us and guide us in your holy and your precious name. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans uh, chapter 12, verse 2. Just hang out there for a while, and, and we'll get there here in a few minutes. But this is the second message in our new series called Change. And just to catch you up, if you weren't here last week or if you just it's your first time here, um, we like to do series. Uh, we like to take a subject. We like to take a book of the, uh, uh, Scripture in the Bible, and we like to just to teach it and teach it and teach it and teach it because we think there's so much power and a lot of this stuff that we just can't take it all in in one Sunday, nor am I good enough to do that. So we like to take series, break things down, make them simple in order that we can all learn and grow from them. And this series series is called Change. And the premise of this series is that there are a lot of things in our lives, whether we want to admit it or not, we know in our heart, we know in our life that they, we need some things to change. Um, and we, we, last week we talked about the story of the prodigal son. We talked about uh, the young man um, who went to his father, told his father he wanted all of his inheritance. He left, he went to the city, he bought a whole bunch of prostitutes and spent a whole bunch of money on, on today's world that'd be just a bunch of drugs and alcohol and just got wasted every night and partied until he had no money left. And when he had no money left, his friends left. When his friends left, he lost everything he thought he had about life. He didn't have a job. He eventually lost his home. He wound up in a pigsty. And it was in this moment when he was sitting with the pigs, eating and sleeping with the pigs, he looked around at his life and the Bible said that he came to his senses and he realized that something needed to change. And so he returned back to his father, which is a huge, powerful part of that story that we will come to at a different time in the series. But that's what this series is about. This series is about those times in your life when you look around and you realize that there are things in your life or situations in your life or relationships in your life or personality traits in your life that you know have to change. Sometimes it comes to us right after we have a heated argument with our spouse and we start to utter the words divorce and separation for the first time and you walk away, you're in another room and you look around and you realize you're not sure if it's you, you're not sure if it's them, but you know in your heart, you know in your life that something needs to change. It might be at the end of the month uh, when you're starting to balance your checkbook and you're realizing that uh, your finances are managing you far more than you're managing your finances, that you're more in debt now than you were last month and and you know that something, you're not sure what, but you know that something's got to change. It can, there's, a, there's a ton of different little things. It could be something as, as small as just a personality trait, as something as, as serious as a deep, hidden sin, maybe even an addiction. Or it could just be relationships or situations. But it just, when you come to a place in your heart and you come to a place in your life when you know that you need to change something, that's what this series is about. 
And I think sometimes that when we start talking about change and we start talking about changing things in our lives and changing things in our personality and changing things in the way that we, the way that we do, a lot of times we think that of it as a negative thing. We think that, I, well, if I have to change, and that means I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Let me just break that out at the beginning of the series. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. God is perfect. You're not perfect. All right? I'm not perfect. So unperfect people, imperfect people, we need what? We need change. And so it's not actually a negative thing at all. It's a beautiful part of following Christ is change. And this is kind of the scripture that we're basing all of this off of that we're going. This is scripture in 2 Corinthians 3.18. If you have a highlighter, find this in your Bible, highlight it, text it to yourself. It's a powerful scripture. We will follow through most of this series. But this is what Paul says. He says, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. And we talked a little bit about this last week, and I'm going to spend a few more minutes on it this week. This right here is one of the most powerful, one of the most ultimate goals of your life is to have this scripture become true to you. See, because there's, there's not enough time to talk about the power of it. We'll come to it later in the series. But he says, whenever, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Whenever anyone comes to Christ or puts their faith in Christ or puts their trust in Christ and they begin to follow after Christ, it says that the veil or the blindness, the thing that separates us from the presence of a living God, that thing is removed from our life. And so now that we put our faith in Christ and now that we follow after God, that veil is removed and we have access to the glory of God. We have access to the presence of God. We have access to the wisdom of God. We have access to the fullness that is God. And he says, now that we have that access and the veil has been removed, we can see, but not only see, but reflect the glory of the Lord, reflect the glory of God. And he goes on to say that, and the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. So he says, this is the ultimate goal for a Christian, those who put their faith in Christ, those who start to follow after God, those of us that we have those moments or we have that time in our life when we have an experience or a moment with God where we start to believe in him and we start to believe in Christ and we start to believe that Christ was who he said he was and we start to follow after him. He said from that moment forward, the moment that you put your life in the hands of Christ and the moment that you put your trust in Christ himself and you follow after him, he said these two things begin to happen. He says, you can now see and reflect the glory of God in your life. And ultimately, Christ himself, the Spirit of God, is making you every day, making you more and more like him as you are changed into his glorious image. And for the sake of today's message, I want to concentrate on that word image right there because that word image is so vitally important to your life and to your understanding of your faith in Jesus Christ and your understanding of your purpose in this life and your understanding of every single thing you do from this forward, from this day on. Paul says this is the ultimate goal, one of the ultimate goals of your life, that you will be changed into the glorious image of Jesus Christ. Christ. That word image creates just a picture of a reflection. The point Paul is trying to make is he's saying this right here. He's saying at some point in your walk with Christ, at some point as you follow him, at some point as you put your trust in him, eventually the Spirit of God wants to make you so much like Christ that you will reflect the image of Jesus Christ himself in your life. That means that when you look at me, that you don't see me. 
that you see Christ. And that when I look at you, I don't see you, but that I see Christ. That when I look into your marriage, I don't, I don't see the way that you would be married. I don't see the way that you would treat your wife. I don't see the way that you would treat your husband. But I see the way that Christ would treat your wife or that Christ would treat your husband. And I look into your relationships. I don't see that you, the way that you would have a relationship or the, what you think about a relationship. But I would see the way that Christ would be in a relationship. And if I were to look into your finances, you were to look into my finances, that you wouldn't see the way that Jordan does his finances, and I wouldn't see the way that you do your finances, but that we would see the way that Christ would handle finances, the way that Christ would handle money. In the way that we raise our children, we would not see the way that we would raise our children, but that we would say the way that Christ would raise our children. Ultimately, in every area of our life, Paul says that the Spirit of God, Jesus Christ himself, is ultimately changing you day in and day out so that at some point in this life, you will reflect the image of the almighty, perfect Jesus Christ in every area of your life. And see, I think that we forget this. Right, because the way that we view Christianity, the way that we view life, it has everything to do with hell and everything to do with heaven. I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven when I die. So I'll put my faith in Christ. So when that day comes, then I will hopefully not go to hell if it exists and I will go to heaven if it exists. And it has nothing to do with this scripture right here. And for many of us, we've missed the entirety of the point of what Christ did on the cross. This is the power of why you follow Christ so that in some point in your life, you will begin to reflect the glory of the holy, righteous, perfect God in your life. Quick question. Don't answer it out loud. I couldn't answer this truthfully. It would be very scary. How many areas of your life reflect the glory of God? How many areas of your life, if we were to look into it, would you see Jesus Christ? Or would you see you in the world and the way that we Thing. So ultimately, that's the goal. Ultimately, this is the foundational idea of the series is that we know, we know if we're honest with ourselves, we know if we humble ourselves just a little bit and we look into our life and we look into areas of our life that this is not yet true in many areas, that we don't reflect Jesus Christ. We don't reflect the image of a holy God and we ultimately need change. And that's what this series is about, is finding that change and how God says we can change. And our, our little mantra is, is that we need to be serious about being changed because Christ is serious about changing you. We need to be serious about being changed because Christ is serious about changing us. We need to be serious about looking into our life and, and being able to say that we reflect the image of Christ in our hearts and reflect the image of Christ in our marriages and reflect the image of Christ in our purpose and our direction and our businesses and in the way that we interact with people. It's a beautiful, amazing opportunity that we get as Christians to be able to reflect the image of God in our life. And so the four things that we talked about last week, we did change requires, one, a coach, two, directions, three, new thinking, and four, action. We just said, listen, coaches, uh, everybody knows what a coach does. A coach helps, instructs us, and, and we said that the Bible, Jesus said that he left with us teachers and evangelists and prophets and apostles and shepherds and, and, and pastors and people like me, people who stand on stages and teach you the word of God, people like that, that, that older couple in your life that's been following God a long time, they've been married for longer than you've been alive, and, and they're helping 
helping you in the hard times of your marriage. You, you call out to them. You call them when you get in a fight or you call them when you're struggling and they give you godly wisdom. Those are coaches in our life. The Bible says that they left behind these. Our life group leaders could be coaches. Our pastors and teachers could be coaches or you could have an internet coach. You could get online and, and, and listen to people like John Piper and, and Andy Stanley and, and, and Mark Driscoll teach us the God of word, um, the God of word, the God, God's word. I mean, that's the, that's the beauty of our technology today that we could have coaches everywhere. And it goes on to directions and new thinking, which is the majority of the message today. So I'm just going to hang back on those. And we ultimately get to action that without uh, action in our life, it doesn't matter what you know. It doesn't matter what you learn. It doesn't matter how good your coach is. If you don't ever act on it, we, we, at the end of the day, we say, listen, knowledge without action is worthless. Action without knowledge is foolishness, but knowledge without action is worthlessness. So it doesn't matter how many times you go to church, it doesn't matter how many Bibles you own, it doesn't matter how many Christian t-shirts you have, if there is no application of God's word in your life, there will never be any change. And so these are just the four things that are introductory message today, um, last week, and today we want to move on to something that's a little deep. Um, it's, a little, it's, a little, it's a little more uh, down the line than maybe some of us are used to, but it's one of the most simple yet most profound scriptures that exist in the Bible. Um, it, is, it is one of those things where if you grew up in church, you've heard this before. If you, if you, if you have been anywhere near a church, you've probably heard the first part of the scripture that we're not going to get into today. It's one of those things that, that, that is just kind of a part of life. And as we go through this, you're not going to think to yourself, man, I did not know that. You're not going to come to a place. We all know this. We all know what we're getting to. And even if you don't believe in God, at the end of the day, the truth, the principle that we're going to pull out of the scripture, you're going to know it. You're going to think that, that makes total sense to me. I, I get that already. I mean, you worded it a little differently, but, but I get that. I understand it. Uh, but this is one of those things that where we read it and we hear it and we know it, but we've probably not ever thought about the fullness of what it means to our life and how powerful it could be and how much it could enhance our life and our relationship with Jesus and our marriage and our families and every other area of our life. And it comes down to this idea of new thinking that Paul talks about in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And this is what the scripture says. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay, so not, not last week if you were here, but how many of you have heard, read some form or version of this scripture at some point in your life? Just raise your hand. Just raise your hand high. Some of you are lying because I've taught it for the last year and you've been here. So... <laughs> Either, no memory or you're a liar. You need to change that about yourself. So listen, the idea is that most of us have heard this scripture before. And the danger of that is all of us who kind of grew up in church or you've been hanging around church for a while. And, and as soon as I threw that up there, you just kind of turned yourself off. I get this. I get this. I've been in church a long time. I've heard this all my life. The first part's about a sacrifice or something. I got it. I know it. I, I get this. Don't conf I got it. I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. I'm going to ask you to shut that part of your brain off. And I'm going to ask you to think for just a few minutes as if you've never heard this before. And we're going to go through just the basic, most simplistic idea of what this means. And then we're going to come to a conclusion at the end. So if you could do that for me, that would be, that would be amazing. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
I want to take these four words, conform, transformed, renewing, and mind. And for the next 15 minutes, I want us to be able to come, whether you believe it or you agree with it, I want us to be able to walk out of here today with a full understanding of what this scripture means and what this scripture means to our life and how powerful it can be to every single area of your life. The first word means conform. It means properly assuming a similar outward form by following the same pattern. All right, I want to tell you something. Again, you're going to know this. You get this. It's not anything new. Everything I say today, you're going to be like, man, I could teach that. What are we paying this jerk for? All right, I'm serious. Every single thing we talk about today, you're going to be like, I got that. I graduated second grade. I understand. All right, conform literally just means to assume an outward position an outward idea, an outward appearance into your life. It's something that's powerful that you need to really understand and grasp about the specific word conform because there's other words that he could have used, but he used the word conform. It would imply that you are not like whatever it is that you are conforming to because if you were like whatever it is that you're conforming to, what would you not have to do? Conform. So his point is, let me say it like this. All right. UNC, Carolina, greatest school they ever played, greatest basketball team they ever played. I don't care. I'm the preacher. I can say it. Get your own microphone. All right. So UNC, if you go to UNC and you're a UNC fan, you grew up in a UNC house and you've got the beautiful colors of UNC and you wear UNC hats and you wear UNC shirts, you are a UNC fan. All right. You're not conforming to a UNC fan. Why? Because you're a UNC fan, because you, you grew up in the house or you went to the school or you had family members that went to the school and they never got you any tickets no matter how many times you asked them, a hundred times, and you've never forgiven them for it. Or is that just me? Okay, sorry about that. So like we get this idea, we're huge fans of UNC. You don't have to conform to it. You're not conforming to anything. You're a UNC fan. But if you go to UNC or you've always been a UNC fan, you grew up in a UNC family, and then you go to Duke where the devil lives, all right, and you take a Duke jersey, and you do anything but burn it, all right, you put it on, now you're conforming outwardly to something that you really aren't a part of. Does that make sense? You're UNC inwardly, you're good inwardly, all right, you have goodness in your heart inwardly, but then you put on something that's evil and wretched and should be destroyed, all right, so that's the idea. You're, not, you're really good inwardly, but you're putting on something that's not you. You're not, you're conforming. You're looking at it, and, and I don't know. One, this is a really bad analogy because nobody would want to conform to Duke, right? I mean, I, true, right? Nobody would want to do that. And so, like, but you do that. You're, you're good. You're UNC inwardly, but you conform outwardly for whatever god-awful reason you decide to do that. You, you put that on, but you're not a Duke fan because you're inwardly a UNC fan, but for whatever reason, you conformed. You only have to conform if you are not a part of that thing. And so what Paul is saying here is that, listen, you have to understand, he's one, talking to Christians. He's talking to believers. He's talking to people who go to church and put their faith in Christ. He's talking to people who say that they believe what the Bible says. He's talking to people who have been inwardly changed. He's talking to people who are a new creation. And he's talking to those people. He's talking to us. He's talking to you and me. If, if you follow Christ, he's saying, listen, you don't. I'm not talking to the whole world. I'm just talking to those who have been changed by the power of Jesus Christ. And I am telling you, Paul says, I'm telling you, at the end of Romans 12, he spends 1 through 11 walking through the power and the theological proof of salvation from the beginning to the end. And he gets to this point, and he says, now that you understand salvation, 
Now that you get Jesus Christ, now that you follow him and you have been changed inwardly on the inside, don't conform to the outside. Right? Because that's not who you are. That's not who you are on the inside. You are a new creation. And so you have to understand that you are never, even if you put on the outward appearance of the world, in this case he's talking about the culture, if you're putting on the outward appearance of that, it doesn't matter how well you wear it, at the end of the day, you are still saved and bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you don't, you don't get to be that anymore. You don't get to, to go that far anymore. You don't get to put that on because that's not you. And he says, so stop trying to conform to the pattern of the world. Stop trying to conform to the, to the presence of the age and to the culture because that's not who you are. You are inwardly saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and your trust is in God. Your trust isn't in the world. So stop conforming to something you are not. I, that's the, you have to get that in your heart. He's not talking to the whole world. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. He's talking to people who believe in Christ. And he is saying, you are different. You are a new creation. You have been saved and bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. The paradigm of your life now must be different. So stop conforming to the world. That's number one. He says, don't conform. The second problem with this conform is that when we read this, I'm really hot and sweaty. When we read this, immediately we start thinking about Nazis and drug dealers. No, not you, just me. Okay, but here's what we do. We literally go, you know what, I'm not going to be like the Nazis. I'm not going to be a serial killer. I'm not going to be like, like drug dealers. I'm not going to sell drugs to children. That's what we do. I mean, I'm serious. Maybe not in those words, but that in your mind, in your heart, I'm not going to conform to the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst. But that's not what Paul is saying. He's not talking about Nazis. He's not talking about drug dealers. He's not talking about gangbangers. He's simply talking about the culture of the world. Let me hurt somebody's feelings. He could be talking about your parents. He could be talking about one of your brothers or your sisters. He could be talking about your favorite professor. He could be talking about your football coach, your basketball coach. He could be talking about your boss, the people you work with every day. All right? it's, not, it's not the worst of the worst. Those aren't the ones that's dangerous. Nobody wakes up and goes, you know what, I'm going to think like a Nazi today. Nobody does. I could not think of anything more evil than a Nazi. So if, if you could, give it to me next time I preach the message, I'll use that. Right, but, we, but he's saying, listen, it could be your neighbors. It's the culture. It's the culture that is around you. It's the culture that influences you. It's the culture. Anything outside of Scripture is culture. And he says, don't conform to the behaviors and the customs of those who don't know Christ because they don't know Christ. That's not to demonize anyone. That doesn't mean that you can't be friends. It doesn't mean that you can't hang out. One of my favorite things in the world to do is hang out with unbelievers and sinners because I was such a good one. I'm serious. I enjoy it. I enjoy it because I can see what they think is so important and I remember thinking the same way. You can hang out with them. You need to hang out with them. You need to love them but don't you dare conform to them because you have something so powerful inside of you. You don't need to conform to the behaviors of those who don't know Christ. 
And for some of us, it is our parents. For some of us, it is our family. For some of us, it is those people. It are those people closest to us. And we have to get that early on in this conversation, that when he says don't conform, he's not talking about evil. He's talking about the culture of the day. He's talking about the, the culture of our government, the culture of Oprah, the culture of Dr. Phil, anything that is affecting you and changing you and influencing you outside of spiritual, godly things is the culture of the day. And he says, don't conform to it. He moves on to this, to this word right here, transform. It says, change after making contact or being with. The original Greek is like metamorphi. It's the beginning. It's where we get the word metamorphosis. It's the idea that once something makes contact with something, it starts this change in them. It starts this metamorphosis. It starts this transformation. In this case, it's obviously Jesus Christ. And he says, once you like this, we're changed after we know him. We're changed after we, we hear from him. We're changed after we put our faith in him and our trust in him. There's this, we come in contact with the son of God in a very real way, and it begins a change in us. It begins a transformation in our hearts and in our lives, one that we need to embrace. goes on to the next one. The word renewed. Now, this is, I know this is, this is deep right here. You guys ready for this? Renewed. Making something new. Did you guys write that down? Say it one more time. Renewed. Completing a process of making something new. Properly a new development. When I create something brand new, is that renewed? No. It's created something brand new. For something to be renewed would mean that it existed before. It means that there's something that's in your life there's something that's already existing in your life. There's something that's already a part of you. It's not something new that needs to be created. It's something that's already a part of you. He could have used a thousand words, but he used the word renewed. That means that something in your life needs to be made new again. It needs to be, it's there, it exists, but it needs to be made new again. In this case, he's talking about the next word, the mind. The mental capacity to act, exercise reflective thinking. I know some of you guys don't have one of these, but most people have minds. And then nobody laughed. I'm just kidding. I'm not insulting you guys. I know everybody has a mind. Just don't use it that much. So everybody has a mind. All right. The mental capacity to exercise reflective thinking. All right. That's this thing here. What we view the world. How we process thoughts. It's not just what we think, but it's the way that we think. It's the way that we view the world. It's the way that we interpret the world. It's a very deep word that he uses here. And it's, so he's saying the renewed and the mind go hand in hand. It's very important that you understand this. So he's saying, listen, transformed, renewed, make new again the mind, the way and what you think. All right. So if we put all this together, and, to and, to that, and redo this scripture, this is what we're going to come up with. Do not look at the pattern of this world and copy what you see, but be changed after knowing Christ by allowing him to make not only what you think, but the way you think completely new. Do not look at the pattern of this world and copy what you see, but be changed after knowing Christ by allowing him to make not only what you think, but the way you think completely new. There is an incredibly important truth. Remember that truth I told you that's so simple, but it's so powerful. 
he's making right here. He's saying, so don't look at the world, don't look at the culture, and copy it. But be transformed from the moment that you know Christ, the moment that you start spending time with Christ, give in to this transformation, to this change that the Spirit of God is trying to do in your life. And then he says something so vitally important. And that transformation comes from the renewing of your mind or comes from him changing not just what you think but the way that you think and making it completely new. Here's the principle. Here's the thing that's so basic, it's so simple, and you know it and you get it, and I know you do, but it's a powerful point that we need to make sure that we fully get, and it's this point right here. It is not transformation that leads to new thinking. It is new thinking that leads to transformation. It is not transformation that leads to new thinking. It is new thinking that leads to transformation. And right here, despite whether you saw that coming, despite whether you had that figured out, there's always those guys that that get down, I'm one of them, they get down to the end of the movie and go, had that thing figured out from the beginning. I knew he was dead the whole time. Stupid movie. I got it. Don't be that guy, okay? This right here is very basic and it is very simple, but it is part of the reason why you struggle with the things you struggle with, why you have always struggled with the things you struggle with, why you will keep on struggling with the things you keep on struggling with because you don't fully get this and you don't fully apply this principle and this truth to your life. Transformation does not breed new thinking. New thinking breeds transformation. He said, you need to be not conformed, but you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That transformation in your life, that change in your life that you crave so desperately much will come from a new way of thinking in your heart and in your mind. It's not going to come the other way around. You're never going to be able to act your way out of anything. You're never going to be able to behave yourself into it. You're never going to be able to create habits in your life and eventually have an habitual change in your life. It's never going to happen. Your attitude, your behaviors, uh, all this way we strive and the way we work and the way we try to earn righteousness from God, none of that, it's never going to happen. Listen, you can, you can, you can as hard as you want to change, as hard as you want to go and as hard as you want to try, if you don't understand this, you will never experience the beautiful freedom of reflecting the glory of God in your life. And this is the point we had last week, but I'm going to bring it back up one more time. If you think the way you have always thought, you will act the way you have always acted. It is important that you come to a place in your heart and your life, if you are serious about change, that you get this and that you understand this about your life. Because some of you are 45, 50, 55, 60, 70 years old, and you think that you've got a handle on life, and life has got a handle on you. And you think you've got a handle on Christianity, but you don't. You think that you got things figured out and you think that you're walking in freedom and you think, it, but you don't. And this is part of the reason why. This could be the primary reason why you will 50 years from now be exactly who you are in this very moment, struggling, maybe even worse off than, than you are now because you don't get this. Because in your heart and in your mind, there's nothing really that wrong or different about you. It's just you. You're going to heaven when you die, and that's kind of the end of the picture, but that's not what he says. He says, don't conform to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So here's what, listen, here's what we have to do. We have to identify the lens at which we're viewing life through. I'm going to give you this little story, a little analogy. All right. I know everybody's got smartphones these days. I've got one. 
All right, and I know on all of our smartphones, there's GPS, and I know that, that being lost is kind of a thing of the past. Some people still manage to do it every now and then. She was definitely not looking. That was awesome. <laughs> that, that still managed to get a little bit lost every now and then, even though the GPS is telling you where to go. I'm not sure how that happens, but it happens. But for most of us, with GPS technology and smartphone technology, getting lost is kind of a thing of the past. And along with that, people don't ever really think about this, but along with that went the business of maps. You remember back in the day, I remember when I was a kid, I remember you'd walk in a gas station, there was like this, all the magazines and the drinks and then the map section. Maps everywhere, all kinds of maps, maps of anything. You could be in Carolina, North Carolina, and you have a map of New York for sale. Never understood that, never really got that. Because by the time I got to where I was going, I realized I had a smartphone, we had GPS, and I never needed a map. I've never actually used a map. That may be sad, but I've never actually used a map in my life. But I hear, back in the day when some of you were kids, maps were very, very, very important. And so they had maps all over the place. And everywhere you were going, you need to stop by and pick up a map. If you're going to Florida, you need to pick up a map. If you're going to Alabama, you need to pick up a map. If you're going to New York, you need to pick up a map. A map to get there, and then probably a map of New York because everything was so different. And so in people's little cubby holders, all right, and little things, they had all kinds of different maps. I remember being a kid and, and opening up one of my grandfather's uh, little glove department, and like 24 maps fell out. And it was just like, the heck is this? Well, you need a map for here, you need a map for there, you need a map for this, you need a map for that. Somebody created a daggum cell phone that can do that, and they did. So, listen, this is what maps are a big deal. For the younger people, I just need you to imagine with me, uh, because it's hard for me to imagine it too. But for the older people, you're going to get this, all right? You're going you're gonna to get this. And by older, I just mean you're not young anymore. So you're going to get this, you're going to get this map thing. But if you were to go to a new city, you need a map. If you've never been to that city with the no GPS technology and all that, you need a map to be able to know where you are. You need a map to be able to identify where you're going. You need a map to know how to navigate your way to there. Maps were kind of a big deal. GPS is just an electronic version of a map, I think. So that's what maps are. And so when you go to a new city, you have to get a map. Of, let's just pretend we're going to Charlotte for the sake of the story. When you go to Charlotte 50 years ago, you have to get a map to know where everything is. And so you get your map, and what that becomes, that becomes the way that you view the city. That becomes the way that you interact with the city. It becomes the lens at which you are viewing the city from. Because when you're driving, it's the map that shows you what? It shows you, listen, I need to go to the Panther Stadium. So there's the map. I see the Panther Stadium on the map. This is kind of where I am here. So I need to take this road, this road, this road, this road, this road. And that map allows you to show you where you are, shows you where you need to go and how to get there. And in this, in this story, if you're in Charlotte 50 years ago and you have a map of Charlotte, behavior, ability, personality comes into play heavy. You know, you come up to some, uh, some construction, having a positive attitude matters. You know you need to go down this road, you know because of your little map that there's no other way to go, so you're just going to have to chill out, have a positive attitude, and wait on construction. And you got to know how to drive a car. If you're in the city, you've probably got to know how to parallel park. Your abilities, they matter. Your attitude, positive, negative, it matters. Your behaviors, they matter. When you have the right map and the right city because you know where you're going, you come up to a red light and the person in front of you, um, it did not go immediately when the light turned green. You need to have patience to not honk at them even if you're pulling out of your own neighborhood. You just need to have patience. And it matters Behaviors matter when you have the right map. But I'll, let's just change the story up for just a few minutes. Let's say that you go to Charlotte, you stop by the map store, and there's some guy uh, who's a jokester, sells you a map of Atlanta, tells you it's a map of Charlotte 50 years ago. You don't have any way to know the difference. 
In my story, it doesn't say map of Atlanta at the top. It's just a map. He gives it to you. He tells you it's a map of Charlotte, but it's not. It's a map of Atlanta. So now you go into the city. Here's the deal. No matter what you think, you have no clue where you are. Think about it. Doesn't matter what, if you think I'm in the right place, I know where I'm going because I have a map. Doesn't matter what you actually think, the reality is what? You have zero clue where you are. You have zero clue where you're going. You have zero clue how to get there because the map is wrong. And it doesn't matter if you're Mr. Sunny Side Up, positive, half the cup's half full, everything's great all the time, one of those guys. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter about your positive behavior. Doesn't matter your ability to park. It doesn't matter your ability to drive. It doesn't matter if you, if you know how to do what. It just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you have good communication skills. It doesn't matter. You will never get to where you're going. You will never really be able to identify where you are. You will never be able to understand the problems. You will never be able to navigate. You will know literally nothing about anything. Why? Because the lens at which you are viewing the city is flawed and wrong from the very beginning. So if you have a map of Atlanta and you are in Charlotte, it does not matter a single thing. No matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you want to get wherever it is you think you're supposed to go, no matter how many habits you set up, no matter how many New Year's Eve's promises you make, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to lose weight, I'm going to do whatever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many times you listen to uh, some tape or you listen to a book or you listen to Dr. Phil. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you try to put in your life. It doesn't matter what you would try to apply to your life. It does not matter if you are in Charlotte and you have a map of Atlanta. It doesn't matter. All right? That's where some of you are in life and you don't even realize it. It's where some of you are in life. I'm talking to Christians. It's where some of you are in life and you don't even realize it. You've been here your whole life and most of you will be here the rest of your life unless you understand this point and make this change. You are living in a life without the right map and without the right lens. The way you are viewing life is ultimately flawed from the very beginning. And so it doesn't matter how hard you try, what your behaviors are, what you think, what books you read, it doesn't matter because the paradigm, the idea, the map, the way that you view the world is flawed. And you have to identify that. You have to know in your heart, you have to know in your life that lens which you view the world, that thing that tells you where you are and where you're supposed to be, that thing that tells you how to get there, that thing that tells you the way things are supposed to be, that's your lens, and you have one. And at the end of the day, it's only, it's only one or two things. Go on to the next slide. If the ultimate lens through which you view life through is not God's word, then your lens is ultimately the current culture. And this is the part where I make everybody mad. And I'm going to mean this, and it's going to sound harsh, but I mean every word of it. If the word of God, the scriptures of God, are not the ultimate lens through which you view life through, you are conforming. Despite what you think, 
You are very much every day in your marriage, in the way you raise your kids, in the way you view God and church and life, you are conforming to the culture around you. And you are screwed. You are absolutely 100% screwed. Because just like the dude in Charlotte with the map of Atlanta that thinks he's got a map of Charlotte, you think, for a while at least, you will think that you're okay. And you will think that you're headed somewhere. You think that you know where you're going. You think you have an idea of where you are. And you think you get the process. But you don't. You don't. If the if the word of God, if the scriptures, if God's thoughts and God's wisdom, if Christ's teaching, if Christ's ideas are not the lens at which you threw life through, it doesn't matter if you think you're saved or you're not saved. It doesn't even matter if you're saved or you're not saved. It has nothing to do with that. You are living your life as an unbeliever, and you will reap the benefits and the curses of an unbeliever, Period. Jesus said there is a wide road and there is a narrow road, but there is no middle road. We, we don't want to think that. See, American Christians, this is the part where I'm making everybody mad. The American Christians, this is the way we think. Listen, God's God. He's up there. I'm going to heaven while I'm down here. As long as I'm not a Nazi or a serial killer, everything's gravy. Everything's good. I got it covered. But then if you just take a step back and you really start to look, I mean, if you just, you don't even have to humble yourself a lot, just a little bit. And you take a step back and you start to look at the way that you view things, not your actions, but the way that you view things, the way that you truly view relationships, the way that you truly view marriages and what marriage is the way you truly view finances and what finances really are, and the way you, you view raising your kids and what that really is. And then you were to get into the scripture and you were to compare it to the scripture, odds are for many of us, despite your best intentions and your ultimate desire, your life is a reflection of the culture. Because if God's word is not the lens at which through you look, you're looking through life, it will be, always be, the culture of the present age. Go on to the next slide. So all of us, get back to our main scripture, all of us who have had the veil removed, Taylor, you can go ahead and come play. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. So all of us, I just want you to read this with me silently, but just read this slowly with me. So all of us who have had the veil removed, those of us who have given our life to Christ and been saved, all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, Jesus Christ, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like himself as we are changed into his glorious image every day see here's the the kicker 
This is all basic, simple stuff. And you get this. But there's a lot of people in this room, you go in church your whole life, and it comes down to this one idea. You don't really care anything about being like Christ. You don't really care anything about being like Christ. For some of us, that's never even been a thought. At the end of the day, you don't really care that much about reflecting the image of Christ in our life. We just don't. It's okay. I've been there. I've been there a lot. The part that you need to understand today and the truth that you need to take, you can hate me. I'll be held accountable for what I say and what I preach, and I will not be held accountable to you. I will be held accountable to God. But this thing in your life where you can just live as a Christian without the word of God being what guides and directs you, you're just like the fool that Jesus talks about. You're just like the guy, the UNC guy, that's wearing a bunch of Duke stuff. That's you. You're a Christian, you're saved, but your marriage in no way reflects Christ. You're a Christian, you're saved, but your job, your career, your friends, your relationships, they in no way reflect Christ. And the scariest part about it is you genuinely don't care. As a Christian, you just, you just, don't, you just don't care. That's the problem is you just don't care. You don't care. And the way I can prove that to you is by this truth, this ending point is your life, you, will always reflect the glory of the lens that you are looking through. If the lens at which you look through life is truly Scripture and is truly the Bible and is truly God and His glory and Christ and His words and His teaching and you are a saved Christian, not perfect, but you are a saved Christian striving to be like Christ, then your life will absolutely, matter of fact, reflect the glory of God. But if it is not, if the lens at which you are looking through life is the conformity of the culture, then your life, your marriage, the way you raise your kids, the relationships that you are in, your purpose, your job, your business, every single thing you put your hand to will reflect the glory of the evil of this age and this culture, period. All right? And you are one of seven billion people. Don't be so arrogant to disagree with the God who created the world. Okay, You will reflect the glory of the world or you will reflect the glory of God. Christ says that you will abide in me and you will bear fruit or you will not abide in me and you will not bear fruit. That's it. Wide road, narrow road. There is no in-between. You will not kind of abide with me and kind of bear some fruit or kind of go to church and kind of do this. You will abide in the glory of an everlasting Father and you will bear the fruit of Jesus Christ or you will not abide in Jesus and you will bear no fruit. There is no in-between. All right? And your religion, your church going, your culture, this Bible Belt religion has messed us up. 
right? Because you think in your heart and you think in your life that you, you know what you've learned to do? You've learned to play the game. You've learned the lingo. You've learned the language. You've learned the things that can be in the open and the things you have to keep hidden. You've learned how to play. You've learned, you've created this in your mind that church is a place, you know, where I can, I can be a Christian and I can follow Christ and I can act like a demonic devil throughout the week, but God's always there for me. God is always there for you. That is the truth. God is always there for you. And there is mercy upon mercy upon mercy upon mercy upon mercy. But at the end of the day, like, there is one road to eternal life, and there is one road to hell. That is it. There is abiding in Christ and bearing his fruit, or there is abiding in this world and bearing the fruit of the world. There is the lens of the scriptures and the words and God's wisdom, and there's the wisdom and the words of this culture, and your life and every area of it will reflect the glory of God, or it will reflect the glory of the culture, but it will not do both. It will never do both. And there is a heaviness in me because I look at my people and in many of my people, I see this lie at work that I can abide in Christ and bear no fruit. It is impossible. That I can abide in the Word and reflect the glory of the world. It is impossible. So you have to come to a place in your heart and you have to come to a place in your life where you know for a fact what the lens at which you view the life is. And I'm going to tell you where most of us need to start. You need to start with the way that you view Jesus Christ. All right, I'm going to say some things and it's going to hurt your feelings and you just need to get over it. All right, because I was a bad kid sometimes and my dad beat me and I got over it. There's some of you, the way that you view Christ is so flawed and so covered with humanistic philosophies. You've crippled the power of the gospel in your life. And it shows, it reflects itself in your marriage. It reflects yourself in the way that you raise your kids. It reflects yourself in what you desire. It reflects yourself in the way, in the lack of worship. It reflects itself in the lack of prayer. It reflects itself in your absolute carelessness of God's word. It reflects itself because your view of Christ is not God's view of Christ. So your view of Christ some watered-down version of nothingness. God's view of Christ is that Christ is the supreme being of the universe, that he is the son of the living God. The Bible says that in the beginning, he was there, that he was the creative agent that created all that you see and all that you know. He is Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And it says that all men, arrogant or humble, will bow themselves before him at the end of this age, and they will all confess and profess that he is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. He is the majestic ruler. He is the one that rides in on the white horse in Revelations and saves the universe. He is the King of kings. All right? And he came to this world to die for your sins. All right? He put himself on a cross for your arrogance. He put himself on the cross for your foolishness and your wasting. And you take his salvation and you take his gospel and you take his cross and you waste your life trying to be like the world. And you're okay with it. 
and you're okay with it. And so for the second message of this series, you need to identify that lens at which you view life through. And you need to come to a conclusion in your heart and your life is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, who is now your creator and your king. Because think about if you actually believed that. If you actually day to day believed that he was the utter creator and king of kings and lord of lords. Think about it. And think about if that scripture was actually true. If you had access to the fullness of God and Christ every day. If you actually believed it, how would your life be changed? How would your life be different if you actually believed in the power of Christ and the way that God believes in the power of Christ? Jesus asked us to do a thing to his believers because I think that he knew that we would need to be reminded. We would need to remember over and over and over and over again. I'm not condemning you. I'm looking into my own life and I know that this needs to be said and needs to be taught. Christ says this. He says, listen, I need you to do a thing. Last thing he says, you gotta understand the power of this. He's at the Last Supper. He's just about to leave the room. He's gonna walk downstairs He's going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's going to have a powerful, passionate prayer with God. He's going to be arrested, and 24 hours later from that moment, he will be hanging dead on the cross. And this is one of the last things that Christ ever said to his people. He said, I want you to do something, and I want you to do it in remembrance of me. I want you to do it to remember what I'm about to do for you. And even, there's a part where he hints at future generations in his last prayer so that we will all remember who Christ really is, that he was the king of kings who gave up his life for us. And he said, I want you to take the bread, which we're going to take here in a few minutes. I want you to take the bread and I want you to remember that my flesh was broken for your sins. And I want you to take the drink and I want you to remember that it represents the blood that was spilled for your transgressions. I want you to remember that I took on the wrath of God so that I could redeem you, so that I could redeem every area of your life, so that I could be your God and you could be my people, that I could be your king you could be my servant, that I would be your Lord and you would be my worshiper. He said, I'm going to do what I'm about to do so that I can be in relationship with you and so that I can change you to be like me so that I will be reflected in every area of your life. And every now and then, I don't want you to be filled with guilt because that's not what this is about. There is no guilt in Christ. I just think sometimes we need to remember who Christ is to our life. And then we need to (laughs) change some things, get back to some things, seek after him and worship him. And so today, at the end of the service right now, 
we are going to take communion. The way it's going to work, if you don't want to do it, absolutely no problem at all. You just hang out in your seat. In just a few minutes, the band's going to come up. The lights are going to go down. We're going to start a time of worship. During that time of worship, if you want to take communion, if you will come out to the middle rows, come down, take the bread. Our elders will be up here helping. Take the bread, take the juice, go back to your seat and do it on your own. We're not going to do it together. This is going to be a personal thing between you and God this morning. And I want to, as you take the bread and as you take the juice, remember what you believe about Jesus Christ. And remember that he says that he wants your life and every area of your life to reflect the glory of him. And as you take that bread, as you take that drink, I want you to really pray and worship and pray and identify the lens at which you view life through. Right? And if that lens is not scripture, but it is the culture, then you need to make that shift in your life. And you need to know that. And you need to confess that. And you need to ask for forgiveness for that. And you need to leave here different than the way that you came. Because at the end of the day, that is what God is doing. He's changing us every day to be more like him. If you guys will stand with me. Lord, Father, God, I thank you so much, Lord. Father, I thank you so much for your power. I thank you so much, Lord, for your spirit. God, I thank you for what you did on the cross for us, Lord God. One of the last things you said before you died was take the bread, take the drink, and remember what I've done for you. In this life, day to day, remember the sacrifice I made for you. Remember what I've done. Remember what I went through to be in relationship with you. I pray, Lord God, as we, as we take the bread and we take the drink and we take it back to our seats and we have a moment with you, God, I ask that the Spirit of the Lord just be with us this morning, Lord God. Let this morning be a part of that process where you make us more and more like you, God. I pray, Lord, that we can leave here today truly identifying our life, truly knowing whether we are inwardly saved, conforming to the behaviors of the world, or we are inwardly saved, God, and conforming to the scriptures and to the wisdom of life. I pray, Lord God, that you will let us come to a place today, Lord, if there's anyone in this room, they know in their heart, they know in their life, they need you, they need more of you. I pray, Lord God, that you will let them know this altar is always open for them. I pray, Lord, anyone that seeks you, anyone that comes after you, anyone that begins to pray, anyone that worships you, that you will hear and you will see and you will comfort them, God. Father, I thank you for the life of this church, God. I thank you for all the things that you are doing in the life of this church, Lord. And I pray, God, as we grow and as we update and as we change, Lord God, never let us forget the reason why we join together every Sunday is to remember the power and the glory of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. In your holy and your powerful name.